Okay, so I have the anchor leg right before lunch, and uh, this is a complicated topic that has pretty simple solutions. So I, I had a 30-minute talk planned. You have the slides. In the interest of time, but also just complexity, and it's been kind of a long morning, I'm going to, as we go through, I'm going to boil it down to what you really kind of need to know, but maybe more importantly, where you need to go for your information. Because failures are uncommon, and, but when you do have them, you need to retreat. So this is about a patient who's been treated not with interferon, but who's actually had exposure to DAAs. And in particular, they've been exposed to NS5A type inhibitors or the ASFIR drugs. And you'll find pretty universal resistance. The question is, does the resistance matter in terms of next therapy being successful? So that's what we're going to address. Um, so we're going to talk about treatment options for treat DAA treatment experience patients and the relevance and importance or not of the resistance-associated substitutions. Now, sidebar, that's a term that applies to HCV. Now, if we were in HIV land, we just call them resistance mutations. I, I don't, I never understood the controversy, but it went on for about two or three years. We should call it this. I, I just sort of wrote along and kept quiet. So RAS, RAS is the actual term. I call, for us, we'll just call them mutations. So uh, when you have someone who has had a treatment fail them, these are the questions you want to address to know what to do next, in addition to everything else, like their genotype and their uh, fibrosis score. Did they get the right therapy at the first time? Was the staging accurate? meaning especially the fibrosis, or do they need that assessed again before you retreat? Was adherence adequate? This stuff we know from HIV. Drug interactions, got to know about those because you don't want to repeat that again. And what medication classes were used, and that's pretty easy. But knowing what they got first is really, really important. So just in the interest of time, I'll abbreviate this. This is 69-year-old guy, co-infected, HIV not a problem, Low platelet count, 135. We sometimes don't think, but that's low. And, but he has cirrhosis, um, and he's not decompensated. So he's compensated cirrhosis. Creatinine's fine. IL-28B we don't pay much attention to anymore, but it's the worst genotype. Um, and he's, importantly, genotype 1A. So cirrhosis 1A, that gets you started, right? And then... He received ledepasvir sofosbuvir, which was a good choice for that. Um, and he's had a target detected at four weeks, but that doesn't really matter usually. They usually are successful. Good adherence, takes his pills, took 84 of the 86 days. And while he was on treatment by week 12, end of treatment, he was suppressed. So great. But four weeks after, I'm not sure why he was tested at four weeks. I wouldn't have personally done that, but he did get tested, and boom, the virus is back. So it's a, it's a sure enough, as we say in the South, treatment failure, right? You go a little bit more closely, and you see that he was taking some Tums. And remember the interaction between antacids and sofosbuvir uh, in particular, uh, and ledeposphere. So you, that was perhaps the reason that he failed. So... Real quickly, these, this is another way of looking at, uh, he was on ropivirine, if I'm not mistaken, so that's pretty cool, right? And there's 
something missing from the top here, which is which drug it is, but that's one thing you're going to look at. But that wasn't the problem. So what type of resistance testing would you perform? Any of those or none is answer five. Go ahead and vote. Here we have. Okay. So if anything, people are going to look at 5A. That's good if you're going to look at it. And maybe not at all. So that's one of the questions, right? Should we be doing this or not? Does the information help us? So NS5A resistance would be the one that would be present. He was only exposed to a 5A and a 5B. And remember, Resistance to the nucleoside 5Bs hardly ever happens. Not worth wasting your money on. Forget about it. It's going to be okay. 5A should be present in this setting. So the question is, is it going to change what you do? If it's a Q30R or an I37V, then that's for PIs. We're not going to worry about that. He had this present that was just transmitted. It may not mean anything. Probably means nothing, frankly. And the Q30R, okay, there you see it. Probable resistance, but does it change what you do? So was this helpful? Eh, not really. Okay, and we'll talk about why. If this were HIV, this would be essential, right? We'd really, really need to know because it does matter. Here, not so much. So viruses with these RASs, uh, may exempt variable fitness. It's good I got this, we got this audience because everybody understands viral fitness. Um, sometimes they're present at baseline, like that protease inhibitor mutation, um, and may or may not be detected. The cut point for the population test is around 15%, maybe 10% population. Could you do um, more detailed deep sequencing? Sure you could do it. What are you going to do with the answer? It's probably meaningless. It might be good if you're doing a science experiment, but otherwise not helpful. Um, it could be important, but that, that the resistance is, is not futile, meaning that there is something, you are going to want to know that there could be resistance and you're going to do something clinically different. We'll go in, over in a minute. Um, and so again, for most of the newly approved regimens, knowing what the RAS is doesn't matter. That's that's kind of your take-home point. And the other take-home point, I'll just cut to the chase. When you've got this relatively rare situation, we don't see this much, go to the guidelines. It tells you exactly what to do, and I'll show you that at the end. I can probably stop here, and you've, you've learned what you need to know. When in, resistance mutations aren't all that helpful except in certain situations that are kind of unusual, but first and foremost, know the story, get it straight, in this co-infected person, look for the drug interactions and go to the guidelines. And they'll, it'll set you straight, it'll set you free, okay. So you can do these, I'm not gonna spend much time. You'll know what's available. Most, a lot of times people get it through LabCorp or Monogram and 10% threshold, it might be more like 15%. I don't think there's much more to know. This is again, um, barriers to resistance. We talked about that. NS5As usually have low barriers to resistance, can be variable. 1B never really matters. 
B is better, A is awful. That was true. That, that was what we used to say all the time with interferon. So it still kind of holds for resistance. Um, and protease inhibitors, nucleosides have very high barrier. Uh, the protease inhibitors, a very low barrier. I'll skip that. All right, here's another test. So question, how would you treat this patient with soft lead failure and documented 5A resistance? Don't need to document it. Assume, assumed 5A resistance, what would you do next? And there are two potential right answers here. So you got a better than average chance of getting it right. Uh, yes. Well, I'm a Broadway tune. Okay, let's see what we have. All right. So, yeah. Let's talk about it. So we're 1A. Here's the thing. This is a nice uh, uh, table. The thing to remember, for 1A resistance, here are the mutations. Here are the drugs. When you start getting to the bottom, you start seeing better responses. Right? So Velpatosphere or the... Uh, Pimbentosphere are the two that you want to be having in the next regimen. The rest are going to be out. Here are the studies of the relative things. So for the GP uh, or Meverit, um, you're going to, details I, I don't think are going to matter too much. What, what I'd like you to take away is that when the prior class was NS5A only, in 12 weeks of treatment didn't do so well. If it's NS5A only, 16 weeks did better. Okay, that's one take-home point. Do you need to know these data? Uh-uh. What do you need to know? Guidelines. Guidelines, right? This is just, these are the data that they use. And the reason I show the data is somewhat to make a point 12 weeks, 16 weeks is better. But look how low the numbers are. And Christy made this point just a minute ago. These could change a little bit, so keep your eye. The beautiful thing about these guidelines is they're online, they're on the web. As new data come in, within a week or two or three or four, they're updated. And so you don't have to keep up with printing them out or anything. Just have a computer or tablet available. All right, and AEs, don't worry about them. So, but the soft Velvox, soft Velvox, the triple thing, this works really well in this setting. And you can see that, um, again, 142 patients, 121 patients, not huge numbers, but as far as genotype 1, um, they took all comers, uh, included compensated cirrhosis in about half the patients. They didn't have any, when, in, among failures, didn't have any new treatment emerging rashes. And uh, all uh, virologic failures did have cirrhosis, um, but... Uh, generally did pretty well overall. Um, if there was NS5A only with just the soft Velvox, 94%, uh, which would be our case here. Here's, here's the money slide, no pun intended. This is what you would do. You'd go, you'd find NS5A DAA experienced, genotype 1, patients with or without compensated cirrhosis. Check, check, check. 
What does it say? It says soft bell vox. Don't need the ribavirin here in general. Treat for 12 weeks. Watch for drug interactions. Don't want to waste the money again, right? Or, or GP. Except if you're going to use GP, you're going to have to go for 16 weeks. Eight weeks, no good. All right, so you've got your regimen. Um, then you're going to go back and make sure no drug-drug interactions. Got it? Great. So this is our second case. 55-year-old genotype 3, failed soft decladosphere. That's like failing soft ledeposphere. It's the same. 12 weeks. Has been on Elva, boosted elvitegravir with TAF um, on some other medicines. The key point here, elastography 15.6. Is that greater than 12 and a half? Yes. Does she have cirrhosis? Yes. Is she decompensated? Not so much. Right? Fib 4 was 414. Remember 325 was the number? We're all together now. Albumin, a little bit low, but not critically. Creatinine's fine. Platelet count's a little low. So now, what are you going to do? Are you going to test for resistance for genotype 3? Are you going to just treat with soft Vox, soft Vox riba, GP for 16, soft decladosphere riba? I've had another one. I'd look it up. But that's not an option here. You've got to go for it. So let's go ahead and vote. Yeah, this, you can, it's, like, it's like one of those tests where you measure the response time. You know, and the longer it takes for people to vote means the more complicated the question is. All right, let's see what we got. Now, here's my true confession. If I were sitting in your seat right now, even though I'm giving this lecture, and you asked me to give it a month from now, I'd have to look it up. I don't memorize this stuff. My brain's too cluttered anyway. So don't sweat it. It's okay. Um, so, but most people are leaning towards soft Velvox. There you go. Um, in this case, genotype 3, which as Christy pointed out, is really our, that's our shadiest genotype now. Used to be 1A. That's pretty well controlled. Why? Because a lot of the medications that were created were really targeting 1A, the, a lot of the newer regimens. And then as those got under control, then the pangenotypic drugs were developed. So the pangenotypic drugs are pretty good. But here we're using soft Vox for 12 weeks. But cirrhosis, add riba. Add riba. OK, so I don't know how many, most of you have used ribavirin hmm, a little bit. It's, it's not a great drug. Um, you get anemia almost immediately from uh, hemolysis. So you got to, that's a person you got to monitor more closely. Bring them back in two weeks. Check their, check their uh, hemoglobin, make sure they're not plummeting. Um, and, but, but, but it will help. And if they got decompensated cirrhosis, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the guidelines? Uh-uh. You're going to refer to the hepatologist. Unless you don't have anyone to help you, you're on your own, you're on an island, Iceland, let's say. Uh, but if you, don't, if you want to really get a person who's decompensated to a hepatologist for a couple reasons. One, they have experience treating patients like this. I don't. You probably don't. I don't want to go there. Two, 
when patients like that get sick, they get really sick and really in a hurry, and I don't want to deal with that. They know how to do that. And three, um, you want to have them on the transplant list. So don't mess with that patient. But so this is, there really is only one answer for this situation. How do you know it? You go to the guidelines. Um, what about changing the art? I'll skip this question. Um, we talk about, this didn't come out, but what, what Christy was talking about earlier, with some regimens, tenofovir levels can go up. Do you need to remember the PK? Uh-uh. What do you do? Go to the guidelines. There you go. This is, what I, this is called the Kaisergram. I like to call it Jen Kaiser in Colorado. She, and you can go to Liverpool, get the same information with just plugging in your stuff and have fun with it. But you can also go to the guidelines and look under the HCV co-infected thing, and you scroll down to the bottom of that section, and not only is there the Kaisergram, it's updated. So you don't have to worry about keeping up with the old ones. So here we're going to be using Softbell Vox, right? The tenofovir levels are going to probably go up some, so you've got to just be aware of that, but you don't have a lot of other choice. And the drugs you want to use are the integrase inhibitor, either RAL, Dolutegravir and Bictegravir is probably equivalent in terms of drug interaction, so you can substitute. So that would be good. And then TAF and, and FTC would be fine, some of the other ones. But you want to kind of avoid the Elvitegravir uh, boosting or Ritonavir boosting. And why do you not want to use Etrovirin? Well, because it has drug interactions. You don't even think about it. Okay, if you want to really learn about this, everything I just told you, you go to the test and... Um, Evaluate monitor pull down comes out like this. Right here is about two pages, three pages of reading that'll update you on everything you need to know about resistance testing and resistance interpretation. But what do you really need to know? Go to the guidelines. Okay. <laughs> and then here's also in the guidelines in that primer. This is really helpful. Uh, if you want to memorize it, great. If you don't, you can just go to it when you need it. But it says these are the places where RAS testing can help. Okay? So for Zepatir, um, oh, uh, you might want to do it for genotype 1A to know if you need to go 16 weeks versus 12 weeks uh, for soft lead, for uh, resistance, uh, for uh, treatment experience patients, soft VEL for uh, people who have failed. For treatment who, I'm sorry, treatment naive for genotype 3 um, and have cirrhosis or treatment experience. It, it's so complicated that I don't even bother to try to memorize this. I just go and look up each case as it comes. This is also helpful to say where do you not need it, but again, yeah. So hepatocellular carcinoma real quickly. Why do I bring this up? Um, we've heard about it already from Dr. Peters. Uh, it happens in HCV patients with cirrhosis, so you want to keep monitoring. Originally, there, was, uh, there were some data early on that suggested that for some reason, if someone had been cured with interferon, the rate of HCC went down. But somehow, miraculously, and for no good reason, there was a signal that maybe using DAAs for cure increased the rate of hepatocellular carcinoma over the next year or two. That turned out to be a statistical artifact, and it's really not true. So I'll just tell you that 
there are data for you that you can look at on your own. But you can just kind of see here the rate of HCC was kind of all over the map. A sampling error, in my opinion, and later on was discovered that mostly um, the rate of HCC over time drops after you've cured. And Dr. Peters will talk about that. When you do the adjustments, you, it just comes out statistically. So it looked at it initially like there was a signal, and then when you do the adjustment, it disappears. Okay, so what are the principles? Viruses with RASes may have variable fitness. Um, RASes are present at baseline a lot of times, even in the absence of drug exposure, may not be detected, but don't really matter for the most part, except for a few regimens like um, uh, 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 Zepatir and 1A disease. Um, RASes may impact, but not often. The resistance uh, can be overcome. That's what kind of not futile means is that just because you have resistance doesn't mean you can't overcome it. You, you definitely can. And most often the detection of RASes in a newly approved regimen oftentimes is not necessary. So the most important factor in deciding upon retreatment is the prior regimen. That makes sense. And we're used to that in HIV. Resistance-associated substitutions matter in terms of you can overcome them, but they, they're not going to hold you back. Ribavirin-free regimens are often available, but in the case like the genotype 3 treatment experience, you're going to need to use riba. Um, continue surveillance for those with hepatocellular Um Sorry, so the, ah, so the question for the podcast was, Wendy, can you stop? checking for HCC, and the answer is not anytime soon, but we'll hear more about that after lunch. Boom. And we're almost back on time. How about that? Was that clear? I mean, simple in a way. Complicated issue, simple solution. 